Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's daily podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman, and I'll be doing the conference call for today. Um, Gayatri, can you start our first question? Sure, Rebecca. Venkat Krishna. Hi, Rebecca. I have two questions. Uh, my first question is, uh, my H4 EAD is approved on November 16th. I received my approval notice. Uh, the card was mailed to me. I'm expecting it this Wednesday. I'm currently working in Canada and the, for the transfer, my company is going to take like two weeks. Um, with, um, before the two weeks, can I come and uh, work from US while the transition is happening? That's my first question. Sorry, and so you're in Canada now, but you will be working for a US company? Yes, I have got my approval notice and my card will be there. Card, be, card will be in US by Wednesday. Okay. Um, yeah, so as long as your spouse is in valid H-1B status, you can enter the U.S. in H-4 status at any time. Um, you don't need, so the H-4 EAD is not like the H-1B where you need to be working actively in order to be maintaining status. So you can come in at any time and then whenever you're ready to start with your company, you can start with them if you have the EAD in hand by then. It's the same company. It's like an internal transfer. Okay. So can I come before like the process to transfer takes like two weeks? Can I come before that? Like you can I'm come wor- into the US at any I'm time. In- and I'm working for the Canadian pay during this transition. Like on my Canadian visa, I'm working. Is that um so while you're physically in the US, you can continue working remotely, I guess, for a company in Canada. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. fine. And my second question is. Uh, in the third lottery, my H1 got picked. So once it gets approved, uh, does my status change from H4 EAD to H1 automatically or should I get stamping for that to get activated? If it's filed as a change of status and if you are in the U.S. and remain in the U.S. for the whole time it's pending, then once it's approved, the H1B change of status would go into effect. If you'll be going back and forth to Canada a lot, you may want to file for it in consular processing or apply as a change of status, but with premium processing. I would kind of recommend that option, change of status, premium processing, rather than consular processing. Okay. Okay, next question. Ankit. Yeah, hey, hi. Uh, My question is related to H4 and H48 extension. So uh, my wife's current H-4 is valid till December 31st, 2021. Mm-hmm. And the I-94 is valid till January 10, 2022. But 
and the EA is valid till March 2022. So I know it's weird. You normally doesn't happen, but it happened for us. Um, sorry, what was expiring in December? That's H four. And then the oh, you mean the just the I ninety four card or yeah. on the electronic I ninety four is like ten days extra. Yes, but, and the EAD and the EAD is yeah March twenty. Yeah, okay. so and my wife is currently working. So my question is that can she continue working till her EAD is valid? Even though her H four and I ninety four is expiring before the EAD validity, did she at some point in the past have an H four that was valid until March twenty twenty two, or that was completely no, no? It, it, it's weird. I don't know why it and how okay. it happened, but yeah, yeah, it does happen occasionally. There are typos on things that actually give people longer than USCIS was supposed to. To be safe, I would say she should not work beyond her H4 I-94 ex um, expiration in January. Even though the EAD is valid until March, um, that one is a bit of a gray area, I would say. If she has filed the mm -hmm. H4 extension by then, it is she going has. to be yeah. yeah, so we have filed it and I have received my extension, which is valid till 2024. But as you know, the delays are happening. Uh, yeah, so it likely won't be approved by January, the H4 extension. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that's a bit of a gray area. I would say to be safe to stop mm -hmm. working after the after Janu the January date when the I-94 expires, because okay. with the new auto extension policy, we know that that's as far as the auto extension policy goes, is still okay. the H4 I-94 end date. So she can uh, work till the I-94 date. And one more, one more thing was we were, we are planning to go to India and see if we can get a stamping, and okay. based on that stamping, get an extended I-94. So that should work, right? If we get yeah. a stamp, okay. Yeah, if you are able to do that, and the I-765 is pending when you come back, the mm -hmm. auto extension policy applies in that case. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Hi. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Uh, right now, uh, my daughter is in India, which which is expecting H four visa to be stamped soon. So, can my sister-in-law and brother-in-law will bring her to here without parents? Um. Do they have a visitor visa? Uh. Oh, uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they have valid H-1Bs. Oh, okay. Yes, that should be fine. Um, if they personally have a valid visa to come into the U.S., um, mm -hmm. and if she does also, mm -hmm. they can accompany her, that's fine. Yeah, just uh, I need to write a letter, right? Yeah, so I would recommend that she carry her birth certificate and... Uh -huh. Um, your H-1B uh -huh. approval notice and yeah, a letter probably explaining um, mm -hmm. the family relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much. Sure. Onu? Hello. Hey, hi, Rebecca. Uh, my question is like, you know, uh, if you use the uh, uh, green card EAD um, and then uh, um, work for the same employer who filed for uh, the adjustment of status. 
and later in the stage if there is any uh, like you know need so will we be able to uh, renew the h1b because he will be having a already approved i140 with the same employer right so is there any chance to move back to the non immigrant status uh, if required like you know, after using the ead is yeah, there any yeah. chance like that yes you can always move back to h1b or whatever your non immigrant status was um it normally requires going for visa stamping like filing a new application and going for visa stamping if your previous h1b has already expired by then um mm-hmm. there's also the situation where if your h1b has not expired and you had like an h1b approval notice that had an i94 you could get back into h1b status by doing automatic revalidation by going to mexico or canada for 30 days or less and coming back that doesn't even require getting a new visa stamp but would put you back in h1b status it kind of depends on your most recent h1b when it expired um but even if it has already expired if you want to get back into h1b status for some reason your company would just need to file a new application for you and you would need to go for visa stamping but yeah there is a provision to move back between uh, the immigrant and non immigrant status like that with the same employer yes yeah it's always possible even with a different employer um although yeah if you've used dc21 with a different employer at that point it I don't really see why you would need to get back into H1B status unless it because some okay. said like you know once you use the EAD you you are stuck to that like you know uh, immigrant status then you cannot really move back to like non immigrant status as such if any uh, instance where like you know you have to move back but it's not possible yeah. is what i heard so that's why i wanted it, to check it can be difficult especially um if you need to go for visa stamping but it's possible but it can be difficult Um, okay. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Next question. Sonali. Uh, hello, ma'am. Uh, I am Sonali. I'm a graduate student at Michigan Tech. I'm on F1 visa, and I applied for EAD, and I've got a notice from uh, USICS where they are seeking my proof of tuition, copy of transcripts, and the uh, listing of all addresses. Uh, i came across that uh, for one and a half month during summer last year i uh, stayed with my friend and i do not i missed the registering that address uh, with uh, international programs of my university so is there any other document that i can send to usicis as an evidence that i was in the i was in united states means i have a bank statement for that month where i was staying and i also have letter from my friend with whom i stayed Okay. Um at that time the period of time that they're asking about were you um just an F1 student at the time or were you also an OPT? No, I was just a student. Okay. Um yeah, you can just provide what you can't like in the response explain the situation that you were staying with a friend that um because it was a sh- relatively short amount of time and it was during the summer you know you thought you didn't need to update it with your GSO maybe but that you were in the country and just provide what you can to to show that bank statements or um like credit card statements debit card statements that show you were making transactions in the US during that time utility bill well if you were staying with a friend they may not be in any but yeah just anything that you have from that time 
Okay, and uh, since it was not registered, will it create any problem in my EAD application? Means I know it will create some red. It shouldn't, um, as long as you were complying with all the other F1 rules about, you know, the number of credits that you had to be taking um, and everything else for your F1 status, just a different temporary address for a short amount of time should not really affect your overall F1 status or ability to receive OPT. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, next question. Hari? Uh, hi, Hari? Rebecca. Uh, this is Hari. And my LCA and H1B has been raised on the SOC code 151132. Uh, okay. That's the development, this thing. And also my uh, permits also prevailing uh, wages, everything raised on the same code. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the recruitment also for the two to three months. Uh, mm -hmm. Now the legal team, HR team coming and saying that uh, 151132 is no longer being used. So we need to move to the 113021. Uh, mm -hmm. Would that be fine? Or like what is the uh, repercussions with that like? Do you need to do the uh, prevailing wages again or how is it? Are they saying for purposes of the perm process, they're no longer sponsoring for the developer position, only for the manager position? Yeah, this is like a, many a kind of a manager with the individual contributor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if the company is saying that they are only doing the 113021 SOC code going forward for the green card purposes, then they pretty much would need to start from the beginning. If they don't already have a prevailing wage with that SOC code, they'll need to apply for one. And that could take you know five months or so to process. Yeah. Um, that sounds like it's more of a company policy, not really an immigration there may be other reasons why they're not sponsoring the 1132 position anymore, but yeah, just internally within the company, if, if they've decided that the sponsored position can only be this manager position, yeah, a change in SOC code like that would require a different prevailing wage determination and okay. notice of filing, recruitment, all of that. So we need to start everything uh, from scratch right then? Yes, unless they already have uh, a prevailing wage determination that's not expired with that SOC code, because sometimes companies have multiple prevailing wages or multiple ads running at the same time for different yeah. positions. Hopefully that's the case that they already have that, but if not, they would need to start that from, from scratch. Okay, okay. okay. Next question. We cannot use the same uh, eleven thirty-two prevailing uh, wages, right, for this one. Not if the position they plan to sponsor you for is a different SOC code. Okay. So they need a different wage determination. Yeah. Now some H1B and LCA is also on the fifteen eleven thirty-two. Uh, would that, that cause different? So it doesn't need to match your H1B and LCA um, okay. what they're doing for the perm. So they may be you can be 
on an H-1B with an LCA of 1132, but if they're deciding that the green card position they're sponsoring you for is a manager position that requires a different SOC code, then they have to redo the perm for that, but they may not necessarily need to redo your H-1B and LCA unless they want to move you into that manager position immediately. Okay. But it's not required to change the H-1B right now. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Next question. Venus. Uh, hi, Rebecca. Uh, thank you. I and my son are on green card and uh, my, he's four-year-old son. And I want to keep him in India for uh, 10 months. Uh, will it be a problem when applying for his naturalization process uh, together? Um, that alone isn't really a bar to applying for naturalization. It may just take a bit longer until you can apply for naturalization because there's a calculation of a certain number of months that um, an applicant needs to be physically present in the U.S. Um, and also residing in the U.S. Um, before you can file for naturalization. So if it's 10 months continuously that he'll be outside the country, um, you can both still apply for naturalization um, later at some point, but it may just be later than, you know, the exact five years potentially from the green card issuance date. Um, on top of that, I would also recommend if you haven't already to apply for the re-entry permit for him, file the I-131 application for the re-entry permit before he leaves the U.S. Um, because if any, uh, any green card holder who is planning to be continuously outside the U.S. for, I would say, six months or more, we usually recommend filing for the re-entry permit so that there isn't any problems coming back in. Okay. And I have one more question is, uh, uh, when can I apply for naturalization if I am continuously in the U.S. for five years? So I can apply after completion of five years or earlier, three months earlier, I can apply? Yes, if you have been continuously in the U.S. without kind of long periods um, outside the U.S., uh, you can apply, I believe the window is 90 days before the five-year mark. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, that's assuming you haven't had long periods of time outside the country. And how long will it take for the entire process to complete uh, for naturalization? It really depends on the local field office because the final naturalization interview will be in the field office closest to the city that you live in. And there have been pretty big differences depending on the city. I know in some places it was, like in Houston, it was taking sometimes 18 months. Um, that was also kind of a more recent one. So it was pending during the pandemic and that may have had an impact, of course. Um, I would say more typical is about a year is usually what we would expect. And can I apply for his naturalization along with me or uh, after I get... If he has had more time outside the U.S., then he may not be able to apply at the same time as you. So I would check with an attorney um, on when to apply for his naturalization. You may need to calculate it out pretty carefully. Okay, okay. sure. Thank you so much. Sure. Harsha? Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, so I recently got an offer uh, at a different company uh, and my EB3 I-140 is approved like a couple of years back. 
mm-hmm. but the offer is for uh, managerial position and uh, the firm when it was filed it was on a basis of a developer position which was like 6 7 years back so okay. can the company still uh, file a new green card with the same a priority date yes so you have not filed the i45 application yet right no. No. Okay, so it's not an AC21 situation. No. Okay. No. Um yeah, that's fine. So if you're going to a new company and if they're if they have to start the perm from scratch basically for you, um they can do it with whatever position, you know, that fits the job that they have for you in that company. It doesn't need to match the SOC code from a previous I140 that you've had with a different company. You can still port the priority date from your ah, approved okay. I140. So there's no requirement of SOC code similarity for porting the priority date. Okay, so if they start the perm from scratch and it takes like right now I know it takes around 1 year to get to that I140 stage. Mm-hmm. Within that time if the priority date becomes current for filing, will I be able to uh, file I485 or I need to wait 140 approval? You wouldn't be able to with the new company. So with oh, the new okay. company you would need to wait until the perm is approved before you can file the I140. So if during that year of processing the, your priority date does become current, um if you've kind of left a option with your current company to return to them or if they're willing to file the I45J supplement for you, you know, saying that mm-hmm. you are intending to come work for them in this position, you could do that with the current company like the old company but um oh, not okay. company. and with this change in position upgradation can i upgrade from eb3 to eb2 with the new company yeah most likely um that will kind of depend more on the job requirements of this mm-hmm. manager position but i would say most manager positions are drafted the requirements are such that it would qualify for eb2 most of the time with same priority date of old one right yeah you can always port the priority date even yeah if your old i140 is an eb3 and then your new i140 with your new company is an eb2 you can still port the priority date okay and last question i have is like uh, my uh, dependent has a uh, h4 approved till 2023 so when i move to the new company and they do my h1 transfer do i need to do the h1 transfer h4 for them also Um it's not required if the H4 is already approved till 2023 I would say it's not required right now. Um okay. they can if they want to just to so that both of you always have the same end date. Um but they can oh. always go for it later as long as um yeah as long as your wife keeps track of her H4 end date and makes sure she files an extension before it expires. Um and it what about the child dependent child same for the child yeah oh okay okay so uh, they can still be here on the current employer's h4 yes the h4 is an employer specific as long as you are in valid h1b status with any company their h4 oh, okay. will be valid okay. okay thank you yeah sure uh next question venkat hello venkat good morning hi can you hear me yes so this is about my daughter uh, she is turned 21 for in may she applied uh, for it 5 in july 
still pending <laughs> still uh, she completed uh, biometrics and still waiting for uh, green card ead mm. uh, she is completing uh, graduation in may and okay. this year she is planning to apply opt uh-huh. is it uh, do we have any problem if we apply opt while uh, for it why is pending um there shouldn't be uh yeah it i don't think we've heard of anyone having issues with applying for the i765 for the opt well, she's in f1 now okay mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah that should be fine so so will not cause any issue uh, if uh, if if she use uh, opt well uh, 485 is still pending for a long time no yeah that should be fine if her gceed arrives before then though that would be easier for her to use we would recommend just using the gceed because it doesn't depend on like a um you know the opt rules and she doesn't it can be renewed easier okay, okay. Um, but let me see is her you said she's turning 21 this upcoming may was yeah her, she turned 20 i'm sorry oh um i was just going to say was her i485 filed at a time when the party date was current current yes yeah yes yes she uh, she is locked and and under cspa okay great yeah then if the dates have retrogressed now and it's just going to take who knows how long for the i485 to be approved um then yeah it it'll just take time even when she's past 21 but she can renew the gceed mm -hmm. kind of indefinitely as long as um the i485 remains pending but she didn't get the uh, gceed still so yeah um if it arrives before she graduates i would say that would be easier for her to use but in the meantime she can still plan to apply for the opt i765 okay 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 thanks a lot ravika sure next question puneet puneet okay okay Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm currently on my F1 OPT and uh, recently I was a victim of a crime uh, where the crime being uh, a person driving under the influence of alcohol came and hit our car where me and three of my friends were traveling and unfortunately the three of my friends didn't make it and uh, I sustained multiple fractures and I had to go through multiple surgeries. So I want to know if I can if I'm eligible for any kind of immigration benefits. Uh, so out of this incident so so sorry to hear that um has a i assume is there a police investigation ongoing yeah the police the police investigation happened and they filed a case and went it to the district attorney so it, the case is with the district uh, the da right now okay um so there are visa classifications for um for crime victims kind of the Usually there is uh some protection that you can apply for if you are cooperating with prosecution in testifying against 
someone that they are prosecuting. Um, so some of those visas are like the U visa or the V visa. A lot of those are more um, in the situation where there is uh, like human trafficking involved mm -hmm. or um, the V visa for victims of um, human trafficking, that sort of thing. But it's not necessarily limited to those types of crimes. I would say that's not um, my area of expertise. Kind of our office focuses more on business immigration, but um, there are definitely a, a lot of attorneys who are very knowledgeable about those types of protections. Um, if you are in the Houston area, I can recommend a good attorney um, for that. Or if you want to um, reach out, then I can, if you're not in the Houston area, she could probably still also be a resource for that. But I would recommend speaking to an attorney who specializes in those types of um, visa protections. Okay, uh, I am from Seattle, uh, Washington, so. Uh, okay, I don't know anyone in that area exactly, but um, let me see. Uh, I will put my email address in the chat, and if you want to send me a quick email, um, just mention that you had an inquiry about the um, crime victims visa, and I can see if we can refer someone. Sure, thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, next question. Arpit. Hi, uh, Rebecca, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, I have two questions. Uh, first is that uh, my I-485 application was filed uh, last year in November. Uh, I just got a courtesy letters from USCIS asking to send medical reports for me and my spouse. However, they did not send it for my uh, daughter who is 12 years old. So I'm trying to find out, uh, is there a way that I can include my daughter's medical report while I am sending uh, the medical reports for me and my spouse so that later they don't have to send me additional RFE for that? Yeah, we we saw some of a similar situation in this past August, September. Sometimes they would send the RFE for the medical for only one family member. Um, and in those cases, we did go ahead and send in the medicals for all the family members in response to the RFEs that they did get and just include a letter that says, you know, we didn't receive an RFE for my daughter's uh, medical exam, but we're including it here if it can be added to her file. Um, depending on the officer or how things are being matched up at the service center, it may not get matched up to her file. So it's still possible that you might get an RFE in the future for your daughter's medical exam. But I would, I think it's still worth it to try sending in the medical exam for her now, along with you and your wife's. Um, because so, the files should all be together. They should be able to so, do that. Yeah, uh, in, in our case, uh, our fingerprint, uh, sorry, the biometrics appointment hasn't been done yet. So, uh, it has nothing to do with that, uh, right? We can still uh, send the additional medical report uh, with the courtesy letters that we have got. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, I would say that's a bit unusual. Usually you get the biometrics done before the medical um, RFE comes, but it's not yeah, required. This is, this is not a RFE. This just says courtesy letter. And it says that uh, uh, if we don't reply to it later on, they, they may issue an RFE for medical uh, reports. Okay. 
Yeah, sometimes we've seen it phrased just as courtesy letter also. Yeah, I would just go ahead and send in all three of your medical exams in response to it. Okay, and and uh, one more question I have is uh, for for uh, uh, issuing of EAD and advanced parole, uh, is a biometric appoint appointment mandatory? But I haven't yet received it. It's not, yeah, that also is not a prerequisite to getting the EAD AP. Um, we know that this past year, for some reason, um, people were getting biometrics appointment notices that listed form I-765 and I-131 on them. Um, but technically the biometrics requirement is supposed to be for the I-485 only. Um, the EAD and advanced parole should be issued um, and isn't supposed to depend on a biometrics appointment. So you should still be able to get them. But um, I mean, just this past year, a lot of things that used to go in a certain order have been kind of all out of order. Um, but yeah, I kind of all you can do is just wait and respond to the notices that you get. Just wait for the biometrics notice. But um, it's possible to get the EAD without having your biometrics done technically. Okay, so that means that for I-485 I adjudication, there will definitely be a biometrics appointment, right? Yeah, you definitely need the biometrics done before the I-485 can be approved. Okay, oh, okay, thank you very much. Sure. <clears throat> um, I'll take one last question, um, Gatri. Rugesh? Hello. Hi. Hi, thanks for your call. I have a question about the the essential workers bill that's being kind of debated and being worked on in the house. So I wanted to know what is the criteria to be considered as an essential worker and do they have to go through the same process as firm and labor submission to get their uh, uh, permanent residency? Sorry, going through the same process as what? As the, as the other, any other uh, green card process. Yeah. Um, it's still pretty unclear right now. It's still very, very preliminary, the essential workers provision. We don't know if that will be in the final version of the bill. And so there isn't, um, because it's not even in a final version of the bill, there definitely aren't details from uh, USCIS yet on who qualifies as an essential worker. Um, in general, I would say kind of the best estimate we can guess is based on this past year of people who were eligible for a travel ban exception or an NIE um, during COVID for um, certain occupations during the pandemic. So our guess would be, you know, people in the healthcare industry, people in supply chain professions, um, definitely anything related to pandemic relief or um, vaccine manufacturing, those sorts of professions. Although, um, yeah, that could definitely be expanded, I would say, to areas like education, um, potentially IT, if they support industries like government agencies, uh, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, that sort of thing. But um, it's kind of too early to tell how broadly or narrowly they'll really define the essential worker category since it's not in an official version or final version yet of a bill. But then going forward, so what category is an essential worker? 
who qualifies for the category does he have to go through the same process of perman lca and everything yeah that uh, also remains to be seen i would say um there hasn't really been any information on whether they will treat essential workers similar to schedule a occupations like right now physical therapists and um some certain other occupations don't need to do a perm but they still have to file an i140 and i45 and have you know employer sponsorship um so that is kind of one model that they could follow but um yeah we we just don't know yet um how they how they want to implement that for essential workers if it does end up going through mm -hmm. okay okay so in your opinion it's better to just just keep the perm process on until you hear i would for now especially because um I mean, we are hopeful that something that the essential worker provision will get included in the final version of the bill. However, I would say the comments from the Senate parliamentarian who is who doesn't really vote on the bill but has some sort of unofficial power over what gets put into a Senate version of the bill, her comments lead me at least to believe that um, it may be difficult to include the essential worker category in the budget reconciliation bill that they're talking about right now. She seems pretty against including things that she calls like creating a new class of um, benefits that don't exist in the law right now. So just kind of based on those comments, my opinion is that it, it seems like it will be difficult for the essential worker category to make it through the bill. So. Um, I definitely wouldn't abandon right now anything that you have going on on the green card side. Continue with any perm processing that's ongoing, that sort of thing. Okay. 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 Um, so we'll need to end the conference here for today. The next one will be tomorrow at 1130 Central Time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.